Um, that was just incredibly hard um, to not only read it, but I, I mean, for me, I'm one that runs towards the danger. I don't run away from it. So I was I was challenging uh, what people were saying about me. Why didn't you have the courage to tell me this earlier? Why is it coming up at the end of the year? Why, you know, why didn't we? Why, if it was such a big deal, why didn't why didn't I get the support earlier through the year so I could fix it? Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Belonging and Understanding. The podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter. This is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others. I'm your host, author and coach Sayada Zaidi, and every episode I'll be asking a new guest to share their story. Ruth Mary Allen is a certified high performance coach, a certified brain health coach, and a certified havening techniques practitioner. She is passionate about helping individuals who have lost connection with who they are reconnect with their best selves so that they can effectively lead their family and team to the next level of performance and potential and step into their greatness. Ruth has helped people with a wide range of brain health and high performance challenges, from senior executives to young children, military and emergency services personnel. Ruth has over 25 years of coaching and mentoring experience, facilitating the recovery and boosting the performance of individuals, projects and teams. So today I'm here with Ruth Mary Allen, and it's a real privilege to be able to have this conversation with you because um, I don't know if you remember the first time that we met. It wasn't actually in the UK, even though we're both based. <laughs> it was in the States and it was at a Brendan event. Um, and I think it might have been one of the CHPC trainings, which is um, Certified High Performance Coaching. And at that time, you were pregnant and I was super impressed that you were doing this training before you'd had your first child. I just thought that was just an incredible gift that you were not just giving to yourself and to your clients, but also to your, you know, to Lily um, who came into the world and is blessed with such an amazing mum. <laughs> it's just such a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for having me. I think that was, that must've been back in, um October I think when we were out in the states because I was quite heavily pregnant it was <laughs> it was quite a mission to get there in the first place just, just to show up it was yeah, so and- uncomfortable but yeah it was um it was real really just such a great event so Mm, it was yeah. pretty impressive and <laughs> and from there the, the, I mean there's you know there's so much that could be said about you like as we were speaking before we started to record I said you know I could spend 10 hours speaking with you <laughs> just to unpack some of your goodness um but you're a certified high performance coach and um, you're also a really interested in um and I think you've trained with um Dr Daniel Amen um in brain health and what I'd love to know is what led you to coaching and then what led you to brain health? Okay, so um, 
my coaching journey started very uh, unexpectedly um, when I was working in the corporate world. And um, I've been uh, just the build up to how I got there is I was working really hard that year. I was hoping to get promotion to a senior manager. I've given up all my time. I've given up my energy, given up training courses, you name it. I've pretty much given up, including some um uh you know free time with my my husband and I'd also was also um trying to um planning to have a baby so it was a really really exciting year but um at the end of the year when I was going into my performance review unfortunately I had a miscarriage um and when I when I went into the performance review I couldn't have been further from the truth I was nowhere near promotion to senior manager um, they actually put me on um, a performance review. And at the time, they told me I had um, no emotional intelligence, which actually knocked me for six because I was already struggling with the grief of losing a child. Um, mm. And I felt a biological failure. And then on top of that was the layer of feeling like an emotional failure. Um, and so I went very quickly on a, a fast downward spiral and I reached out for business coaching which was to really help me with the business aspect to help me get through this performance review. But everything else was just crashing down around me. Um, and I was just reaching for the traditional uh, chocolate cake and coffee in the afternoon to get through the day and using alcohol as my self-medication in the evening to get through the evening. And I just went very fastly downhill um, and started having suicidal thoughts. And that was the point where I I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't want to be in this place. This is a whole heap of pain. Mm. Um, and so I reached out um, for high performance coaching. I'd already enrolled into one of the online programs and found it really fascinating. Um, and I decided to sign up um, for a, a personal coach or, um, to do one on one. And I was assigned an emotional intelligence coach, which was Diane. Um, mm. And I stopped the business coaching because it just looked at the business side of me it didn't look at all of me and the difference was that high performance coaching takes a, a holistic view as, a, a, at you in all of the areas of your life and I went on an amazing transformational journey and um, went to high performance academy in the in the states in March I'd been signed off um, sick with stress um, because of the situation I was at work and I decided at that point it was time to uh, pull the eject cord from working in the corporate world because it was literally sucking the life out of me um, mm -hmm. and to and to go back into what I started with before I joined the corporate world which was entrepreneurship uh, and go back into running my business and completely rebrand it into coaching rather than consulting um, and certify as a high performance coach and that really started my amazing journey of of transformation and it was a really interesting time because I also work in the military and I was I went away with the military to to teach skiing when I was um off work and at the time um it was a very stressful environment but I was put completely fine about it um mm. and um it was very easy to 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 deal with a situation um that I was thrown into from a a military perspective but it wasn't uh um I couldn't handle the 
the the sort of toxic environment that was um, present in the corporate culture. And that's when I realised it wasn't just about me. It was it was surroundings that were really massively affecting me. And that's why I realised it was time to to pull the plug. And then from there, I went and lost 27 pounds in weight. That was my commitment at the academy was to become the fittest I've ever been. So I lost 27 pounds. I joined the Anthony truck six weeks, (laughs) (laughs) which was hilariously hard. (laughs) It was so, so difficult. So I did that. Um, And then the the following year, my husband and I were able to realize the dream of ski touring across the Alps. Um, Mm. And it wasn't just us that went ski touring. It turned out. And eight months later, our daughter Lily was born. So, yeah, it was a. It was a really, it was an amazing journey. And do you know what I found brilliant about this? You know, at the time when I had the performance review, it was just horrific. Um, It was such a toxic uh, situation to be in. But actually, on reflection, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at the time, um, I really wanted to work in the medical space again. That's where my PhD was, which was imaging of of skin cancers uh, and and spectroscopy. And when I went on this transformational journey through high performance coaching, I I met Dr. Daniel Amen, who was one of the speakers in the States. And the work that he was doing on brain health and brain imaging just absolutely fascinated me. And I realised at that moment that that was the the piece of the puzzle that was missing, that was the bit that joined the dots together on what I really wanted to do was to help people transform themselves. But um, here I could do it through the lens of brain health. And so that's what put me on the journey to brain health and to reading all of the books that he's written and certifying as a brain health professional. And now that's what I do for my clients is help people and really unleash their full potential through the lens of brain health so wow like I mean there's just there's so much in there to to unpack and and some of the things um so 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 let let me begin first by um sharing how you know what an amazing journey that you've been on and to be able to kind of um see the the lessons and go through such difficulty and to be able to come out and now be able to support others is just such a gift um I also want to acknowledge you know how you uh dealt with having a miscarriage and then still trying to kind of function and continue and and I suspect at that time uh, some of the support and the conversation that's happening around miscarriage today it just wasn't at that time no and it has shifted um but you know it's a massive taboo subject still for for many women and for men as well Mm. um because you just think you're just supposed to get over it and just carry on because so many other women experience miscarriage and um, you kind of feel alone in this boat um, when you experience it because you think you're the only one that's suffering the pain because your perception is that everybody just gets on with life. But the reality is very different when you start opening up and having the conversations about the trauma associated with miscarriage, you realise that it doesn't matter how far through you are 
um, with the pregnancy for the individual, um, the the emotions associated with having, you know, developing a child and then unfortunately not being able to um, are, are the same. And um, and it's very difficult. And I think that the struggle um, I had at the time was I was so immersed in my own grief that I was not able to reflect on the grief that my husband um, was going through as well and and the trauma that he'd experienced because obviously he was on the receiving end of the telephone at the time that the miscarriage um, was taking place and then uh, you know he was in London working in London and I was at home so um, it yeah the whole thing is is just it's just difficult at whatever uh, stage of pregnancy you're at it's just incredibly hard and I think at the time I was so set you know I I joined the firm I was so um, looking forward to um, just wait for the plane to go over I was so (laughs) I was so looking forward to starting a family one of the reasons for joining the corporate world was the you know the protection that it was offered to you know long-term security in terms of working in that place and I had all of my hopes and dreams attached to that child um and they just when when the child you know was no longer able to continue in this world all those hopes and dreams went with it and that was just so hard because you have all of these future uh, ideas and beliefs as to what's going to happen and and it takes a really long time to kind of reset yourself and start again. And it was actually at the point that I kind of gave up. I was, um, I, I didn't expect to fall pregnant. I'd, I'd resigned myself to the fact that uh, my my children would be my clients uh, and, and accepted the fact that that would be the way that my story was it would evolve. Um, and uh, lo and behold, normally quite often happens is when you stop trying uh the powers that be tell you uh, now is your time and uh, and so it was and so yeah I fell pregnant and it was it was you know the second time round you know I don't know how women do it who really s- struggle continuously I just absolute hats off to them because it must be so hard but you just don't want to say anything until you have that certainty that everything is okay because mm. um, of the fear factor of setting other people up not just yourself up but setting other people up for for them having the hopes and dreams as grandparents or whoever it happens to be uh and then and then you then feel responsible for for damaging their aspirations because you didn't didn't mm-hmm. manage to make a child so yeah mm. i mean it, it's it's um really kind of quite touching and also difficult to listen but I I want to acknowledge you for for sharing that experience because I think a lot of people um, need to hear it and and I'm I'm really pleased that the conversation around miscarriage has shifted and it's much more um in the kind of public discourse Mm. um but at the same time there still is a lot of challenge associated to it and and you know I, I can't relate to your experience, but what mm. I can share is that when I was pregnant the second time, um, there was a, a risk that um, um, the baby would have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of going through all the tests and then they offer you the, the amniocentesis to kind of check. And, and the way that I heard the information they gave me was that the risk of doing that test 
and miscarrying was as much as the risk of the the fetus having um uh, downs and so i i kind of said no and they kept mm. on monitoring and kept on monitoring and i just remember the last week before um that my baby was born i just thought okay so i have a child who's really healthy my husband's working full time I'm working full time in a job that I really enjoy and our whole life could be turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And it was just that week was probably one of the most challenging weeks in some respects because you just don't know what's going to be happening. And even though you've done your homework and you feel that you're ready for it, all of a sudden it's just that reality of, you know, what if? And um, I mean, you know, we would have we would have kind of responded in in any way because you know we are you know as coaches we're kind of that kind of people you know we've we've been trained we have a network of support and we also are able to deal with kind of challenges and curveballs that come our way and and you know I'm I'm pleased to say that that he was he was born healthily but if if he wasn't I would have also said I'm pleased to say that he was born with downs yes yes is a really but it just kind of is such a strange thing that you feel so alone that you've got no one to talk to and all that yeah. stuff is going on in your head yeah. and the the unpacking of that is just really really tough yeah. and I, I still feel as if there's something there that that I need to learn from it that yeah. I haven't quite learned yet you know yeah, I mean, for me at the time, I told uh, Human Resources that I'd had a miscarriage and it was really difficult when I was going through the miscarriage because I couldn't work out how to put my timesheets in um, in the firm system because I didn't know what to put because I wasn't sick. Oh, okay, so and, I, and and so you get in there, well, I'm not sick, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm traumatised, but there's no grief code for miscarriage and you don't want to talk about it because you feel the shame of it and then I was getting you know you're on the naughty set because you haven't put your your timesheet in HR couldn't tell me how to you know there's all this stress that got wrapped around it that it and fortunately one of the girls in the in the operations unit helped me out but at the time I couldn't tell anybody about it because I felt so uh or not ashamed I suppose I did feel shame that I didn't didn't manage to to do it you know personally um I, I felt like a failure um and I wasn't in the position at all in any in any way to have a conversation about it um I, I couldn't talk about it at all and and for those people that you know every time you see a child every time you see a baby in the in the shop you know every time your friend messaged you to say she's pregnant and you know look at this amazing baby image you you you, you go back to that 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 pain um, mm. that you experienced and it was it was really hard and then obviously having that layer on top um with the the perform the completely unexpected performance review and and to be and to be told I mean you wouldn't tell anybody you've got no intelligence that's just so unprofessional <laughs> um that was just incredibly hard um to not only read it but I, I mean for me I'm one that runs towards the danger I don't run away from it so I was I was challenging uh what people were saying about me you might, why didn't you have the courage to tell me this earlier why is it coming up at the end of the year why you know why didn't we why if it was such a big deal why didn't why didn't I get the support earlier through the year so I could fix it 
Mm. Um, and so that was incredibly hard. And obviously um, putting all of my energy into the work and none of my energy into helping myself heal, um, which is really what I needed to do, um, just just was to, uh, just a disaster, really. And I think now we're seeing more and more firms um, recognising miscarriage as a sort of grief and a loss. And I think that's really important, irrespective of um, how how um, how how long in you are to the miscarriage into the pregnancy term. Um, and I think, you know, if, if we think about it from a brain health perspective, you know, it's not talked about much in the literature, but we know from um, when we go through menopause, women go through brain, massive brain changes compared to men um, because we go through huge brain changes and, and physical changes as a result of um, getting pregnant as your hormonal levels surge. And then you then you go through every pregnancy, you have another change um, because of the surge in hormones, changes a whole heap of things um, in, inside of you. Um, and then also um, we have it as a menopause, but we we in addition have it when the tap gets turned off and we we aren't able to make a baby because the hormonal tap is suddenly switched off Mm. and so you not only have a hormonal surge you then have to go through the hormonal crash uh, and the resetting it back to baseline uh, and that that has huge um, psychological challenges for, Mm. for women that's hardly ever um talked about or or studied or anything yeah i mean you, you know there, there are a million different directions that i want to take this conversation <laughs> in which includes you know discussing about um um grief um also speaking about the work that you do in the military and, and, yeah. and also about mon- menopause but what i'm going to do is i'm going to ask the question that's coming to my heart if i can because i'm perimenopausal at the moment and it's really interesting, you know, um, and I and I think it kind of started to happen at the same time as the pandemic. So when I was speaking to the doctor and I am going to use the word complain because I was complaining of how tired I was and how uh-huh. fatigued I felt. And, yeah. and you know, you, you have the kind of layer of mild um, depression and then there's yeah. the increased ang- and all of those other things. And they kept saying, oh, well, of course, everyone's feeling like that because of the pandemic. Ah, and that was one thing, and then the other. The, I think there was a couple of other things that 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 happened for me, and one was I remember waking up one one morning in November and thinking I've gone to sleep at seven p.m. I'm waking up at seven a.m. and I'm still exhausted, and this just does, doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they ended up doing a chronic fatigue referral for me, and I still knew it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of did some more research, read the NICE guidelines, and then went back to the doctor and I said, look, when you see this, the evidence shows that clearly I am perimenopausal and, you know, I would like to encourage you to help me to go on HRT. Mm-hmm. So, you know, long story short, I started HRT and two weeks later, I just felt like I was alive again. Yeah, after one year of feeling as if I was just struggling through every single day. And it was in that moment that I realized we speak a lot about um, emotional health and about the nutrition mm-hmm. and things. And I don't think there's enough of a conversation about hormone health. No, not at all. And I, and, um, I was concerned I was going through perimenopause myself. 
um, recently. So what, my first default was uh, to get a blood test to check my hormonal levels. Not through the, I did it through the doctor, but I also did it for my for myself as well, just to check um, where my levels were at, and then to 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 do anything that was necessary. So I think the first thing. Uh, for pe- if people are concerned and they're not getting the support from their doctor is is you can order blood tests for yourself privately um, they're not hugely expensive you own the data so then you can pass it to your doctor if you want to whereas it's it's harder to get access to the data that the the doctor has from a UK perspective um, and then you, you you're kind of armed uh, with the right information to sort of say look this is this is what the situation is. And, you, and the doctors, you have external doctors that review the, the blood test to, to see. But yes, it's totally not a conversation that's had. And I think it's it's so important because it hugely affects so many uh, people. And everybody is different because their hormonal levels adjust differently. So it's not a sort of one size fits all approach. It has to be, you know, targeted treatment to support the particular individual symptoms to really help them um, get back to feeling normal Mm. again and and it has an impact on long-term brain health if it's not addressed not looking at you know not managing individuals hormonal levels um, is one of the risk factors to long uh, to long-term brain decline and so it's really important if 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 women are struggling like like yourself that you keep pushing uh pushing the discussion with your practitioner um to, to get the, the help that you need and and if anyone's looking for advice and support on or even information on menopause then in the show notes i'm going to include um some information from um dr louise newson and mm-hmm. um, uh, i think her work is uh, under the umbrella of my menopause doctor and it's absolutely outstanding um what i what i'd love to know is because uh, you started to touch on um kind of like what happens to the brain in that stage mm-hmm. we are going to come and have a conversation about children and brain development as well but just in terms of people as as we age you know what can we do um to to manage our brain health better okay Gosh, there's so many. This is a really big topic of conversation. <laughs> so the the first thing, uh, the si- simplest thing is to there's three things we talk about is to develop brain envy. So that's to care about your brain and to want to have a better brain. So that's the first thing is people have got to want to improve their brain state, uh, irrespective of where, where they're at. Um, the second thing is to do things that your brain loves, that loves you back. Um, so this is exercise at an appropriate level for yourself, getting the right sleep, the right nutrition, um, supplementing. So um, supplements that are really important, just a, 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 a daily multivitamin, but a high quality one. Um, it, it is re- recommended as well as omega-3. So you can get your omega-3 levels checked and then make sure you're taking the right level of omega-3. That can significantly help your um, uh, brain health, improve um, your cognition, help you with, uh, it's just been proved to be as effective as antidepressants. So it's a really good natural way um, to, to help your brain and to lift your mood and to put, boost your immune system, protect your heart health as well. 
Um, make sure you're having some sufficient vitamin D. A lot of people are su- deficient in vitamin D. Um, uh, and and then really to avoid doing the things. The third thing is to avoid doing things that hurt your brain. And we're not maybe that familiar with the things that hurt our brain. But there's so many sleep deprivation is a major risk factor um, for uh, for um, brain decline. Really important. You get quality sleep, the right amount and the right quality. Uh, caffeine, anything that restricts blood flow to your brain. So blood flow is the number one imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease, reduced blood flow to your brain. So you want to be making sure you're getting sufficient blood flow to it. Um, so exercise is really important. Do, do the NHS recommended 150 minutes, at a, you know, start walking like you're late mm. um, and um, avoid caffeine. Is restricts blood flow to your brain. Alcohol restricts blood flow to your brain. So the the two major things. Sugar is uh, not very good for your brain at all. It 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 uh, is addictive. It seemed to be more more addictive than cocaine in in animal studies. Um, oh goodness! And then um, there's eleven risk factors: um, uh, blood flow, retirement. Uh, retirement and aging, inflammation, um, genetics is a risk factor, head injuries, so avoid head, head injuries, um, uh, toxins, so limit toxins that go into your system, um, mental health, that's really important to make sure you're managing your mental health uh, and avoiding uh, doing the things that avoid you falling into the uh, mental health issue um, category. Um, and then um, uh, 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 inflammation, um, it, it important to keep that down. Nutrition is really important. Diabetes or mm. diabetes, and the, the more your weight goes up, um, the smaller your brain becomes. So it's really important that you, you manage your weight um, and sleep is the final one. So they're the, they're the 11 risk factors. Um, associated with brain health but obviously a lot of detail in each of those so and uh, have you got a resource or something for listeners who want to just find out some more um about what they can do to kind of um, minimize some of these risk factors so they can go to the blogs on my website there's quite a lot of blogs there that to help people um minimize the the risks associated with the different risk factors um uh, uh uh, that, that result in memory um, decline. So yeah, they can go to to any any of my blogs. You'll be able to find some information on that. Brilliant, and we'll link to a couple of those into the show notes as well. Um, that's really helpful and quite extensive for for adults. What about kind of kids? Because in my own experience, um, um, I think children are also very different from teenagers. So. What can we do to support brain health? Kind of like, you know, I'm going to ask the million dollar question, but what can we do to support brain health from zero to 18? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the first thing uh, from a brain health perspective is to support them emotionally. So that's one of the biggest things that we can do because our our children need us um, to, to manage their emotions um, because they don't have that ability themselves. So it's really important that we provide that loving, nurturing 
environment because how their brain evolves is dependent on the environment that they grow up in. So our brains are cued for survival. So if they are in, thrown into a, a toxic culture or a toxic environment, a destructive, um, abusive one, then they will do, their brain will wire and evolve and do what is necessary to, to stay alive. So we know from studies that the more trauma children receive, the more vulnerable they become later on in life. Um, and the more emo loving, nurturing care that they receive, the more successful they're likely to be. So it's, it's really important that we provide kids with that sense of safety and that sense of security at an emotional level and be, as a parent, to be an emotional scientist, not an emotional judge, and to allow kids to express themselves and to get curious um, with their emotions, not furious. Because what we see as a parent as like a does uh, not a big deal can be a huge deal for a child and and what we say to children how we say it can have a massive uh, detrimental or, or conversely positive consequence for them for that throughout the whole life um, and I, what I see quite often is the people that I serve who are, who have been traumatized or have un uh, uh, unhelpful emotions or, or sensations that kind of holding them back in life irrespective of what age you know I help people who are who are post-retirement or coming up to retirement um, that a lot of it goes back to childhood trauma so mm. it's absolutely vital that we as society as parents as carers as teachers as you know professionals in the, in the health space provide children with that nurturing environment that that helps them helps their brain and, and doesn't hurt their brain and it and it's really hard for kids now we were very fortunate when we were younger that we weren't overwhelmed with social media and this need to always be on this need to always uh, be showing up as your best to always be connected to you know to be following the latest trends to know what's happening from one day to the next you know we just used to go out and play and have fun mm -hmm. um and and kids are now um you know dependent mm -hmm. on on their social media and not you know on um social media channels mm -hmm. in order to stay connected and the pandemic's made it even worse so it's it's really hard for them and and it's creating a safe place um for kids to it's important we have physical contact as parents, you know, that that's appropriate because kids need that kind of rough and tumble play. It's important they get outside. Kids need to get outside and they need to connect with the environment and, and have good, you know, clean or dirty fun. Mm. Uh, and it's creating that, that, that space for children to do that whilst offering them sports um, that aren't going to be detrimental to their brain health in the long term. And there was a recent um, uh, study that's been published in Scotland around the impact of, uh, of people playing football, and in particular headers, have got five times the increased risk of, of developing a cognitive decline compared to the normal population for people that play in defence. Um, versus three and a half for people that play, play football just generally um, and actually the risk although they didn't talk about this in the study the risk is greater for women women develop 
uh, are more vulnerable to brain trauma from uh, brain, uh, you know, bashing their head um, than men are. So we're we're encouraging. We see more and more contact sports being encouraged uh, because of the Olympics and so on. And I don't think parents necessarily realise the long term negative consequences that these contact sports can have on their on their child's developing brain. Um, yeah. So I think there's a huge shift that needs to take place to to educate um, uh, people on the on, on the risks associated with that, not just from a cognitive decline but actually increases the risk of mental health issues as well mm. alan shearer did a really good program on the bbc a little while back talking about um um kind of headers and head injuries and things mm-hmm. and, and related to dementia as well mm-hmm. and i think um if i recall correctly the conclusion of that would be that headers should just be banned in football i mean and then you've got this kind of thing well is the game still the game and it's a fascinating unpacking of some of yeah. that stuff yeah i mean they did a huge study in the states so the aiming clinics did a study in the states on nfl players um past and present uh, and looked at image their brains and looked at cognitive decline, mental health issues, uh, and it was attributed to uh, traumatic brain injury as a result of multiple knocks from playing the game. Um, and they were re- able to rehabilitate the brain uh, through the appropriate protocols without medical intervention. So that's the that's the key thing here: is um, a pill isn't always the answer. Yeah. You know, a, a drug isn't always the answer. A lot, a lot of the time you can actually rehabilitate people without them becoming dependent on a, on a drug. And, it, and it's offering people the right treatment um, for the root cause of the problem rather than treating the symptom, which is often the case um, in, me- in medicine, because it's become a symptom-centric uh, approach rather than doctors having the time Uh, or the experience to delve deep into truly understanding what the root cause of the problem is and I think and that's a huge shift that needs to take place from a, a brain health perspective. It's really interesting reflecting on what you're just saying and kind of like thinking about my own upbringing in that, you know, I I, I grew up as um, a non-white child in London in the late you know, 1970s, early 80s. And when we watch some of the um, the kind of documentaries and the way that the experience um, is now being shared um, and perhaps understood with a different lens, you can see some of the, the kind of, dare I say, um, the, the violence, some of the, the kind of systemic challenges that then existed. Um, and and then for me personally, there was also the the challenge. My parents split up when I was seven, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm and when I look at the ACE kind of assessment, you know, it it scores me reasonably high. Now I've never, when I was younger, I never had therapy. I never mm-hmm. you know had access to some of those things that you're speaking about. And and one hundred percent, I advocate that you know, we need to be very careful about the language that we're using with our children and what we're exposing our kids to. And I don't just mean our own. I'm talking about the broader society. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder then, you know, like I kind of did okay. And so I'm thinking, well, how did that happen? That even though I went through 
what you know um, a psychologist might view as a number of different traumatic experiences growing up I still did all right and I'm just wondering how that happened because there are other people that went you know even now sometimes when I read stories in the press about Mm -hmm. kind of um, immigrants or, or people who are in transition from one country to another I always say to myself their story is my story you know, mm-hmm. And I have to kind of remind myself not to forget that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of how did you get through it compared to maybe somebody else who could have been exposed to the same struggle and not got through it. So we say there's four elements that are required to, to, to have a trauma encoded in your mind. The first one is an, an event on experience has to take place. So um, then you, then the, um, so remember by the mnemonic Emily, E-M-L-I. The next one is you need to assign a meaning to it that it's a threat to yourself, to your safety, to your life. Um, so it has some element of threat associated with it. Um, then the third one is landscape. So the landscape in your mind uh, is vulnerable, needs to be vulnerable at the time of the threat. So if we think about... Um, we talk about brain reserve from a brain health perspective. So you, it, depending on how your life has evolved, if you had trauma from birth, um, if you had a lot of genetic issues, you could have a lone brain reserve as a child. But if you didn't and you, and you were fed the right food and, the right, uh, and had the right environment up to the point of this experience, then your brain reserve could be quite high. So the landscape in your mind would be less vulnerable if you have a high brain reserve depending on your previous circumstances to somebody that has a low one. Mm. And so the landscape in your brain is really important at the time that the event happens. And then finally, it needs to feel inescapable so that you can't get to a place of safety. You can't escape. There's no way out. That's how it's encoded in your mind. And if it's inescapable and all those four elements are met, then we, we say that you, it's a traumatic experience and that could be anything. You know, we, we talk about big trauma, little trauma. It doesn't matter uh, how big it is. If it's a trauma, it, it's a trauma. It's encoded in your mind, irrespective of, you know, your color, your race, your religion, uh, your gender, ethnic, ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Your brain will encode it uh, as a trauma. And what's it really important is that you, is that you not only acknowledge it which sometimes is difficult if if the trauma is from birth and you can't you can't put a finger on it because you'll have the encoding in your mind and in your body uh, before you have the verbal encoding because your brain your brain's vocabulary develops later and so you won't have the emotional attachment to the trauma that you would have had um, if you're if you'd experienced as an adult and then obviously um, get the, the right help to let go of it. And the way that I, I help people is through havening um, techniques, which is a psychosensory technique that uses the power of human touch to, to help people let go of trauma. And that's very similar to uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR therapy that is used. But in, in, in havening, we use the power of human touch um, and it's incredibly quick. So, what we find is we call it kind of a 15 minutes to freedom is you're able to release Mm -hmm. 
the trauma very quickly that's encoded in your mind through the power of delta waves that you generate and that's all scientifically proven Um, and the great thing about it is you don't have to talk about it so you can actually uh, go in completely content free which is which is what I do with my group coaching sessions is people come in content free don't have to talk about their experience and sometimes it's too traumatic to say like for me my miscarriage I wouldn't I couldn't talk about it for ages um uh you you can still get the benefit of letting go of those unhelpful emotions and responses Mm -hmm. but your your situation going back to your question is your situation where you're positioned in the movie as it were of your life um uh how you perceive it, it, it's very different from person to person. So you could have a sibling or somebody else in the same circumstance. And if they viewed it differently, if a different angle saw that the threat as slightly different, then they can have the trauma encoded, whereas somebody else in the same scene uh, won't. There are so many variables (laughs) related to it. It's really fascinating what you've been sharing and, and and kind of like just thinking about that. I think you're you're right. I I didn't view it um as challenging in some ways. Yeah. I just kind of thought, you know, this is happening. And and interestingly, um in in my late twenties, just as I was qualifying as an architect, I had a really horrific car accident. Um a, a um a white van went into the back of the car and wrote oh. the car off and also almost wrote me off. And that for me was a more traumatic experience than some of the other things that I experienced when I, you know, just kind of growing up in, in London at that time. Uh-huh. And, and I think, I mean, I've had EMDR and I just found it to be one of the biggest gifts in my life. But the, the other piece that I think was was really good for me was the, the the journey that I took on personal development and so like you know we're, we're kind of told as um, certified high performance coaches that we go back and we tri- re- kind of redo the course as a as a new learner once every two years and I was going every year and I view a lot of my my training and my my learning actually as kind of like a form of therapy Uh because whilst I was learning I was also unpacking a lot of my own stuff as well so it's been really really powerful for me yeah yeah I think it's so important that we do take the time to reflect and it's difficult isn't it particularly if um the experience is something that is is hard to unpack um but I think it's it's important we take take that time to understand that sometimes our behaviors that we have are a result of us stuck in a point in time in our lives like for children if you've experienced a childhood trauma how you respond to an incident that's similar to your childhood trauma will be the response that you had encoded as a child which might not make any sense from an adult perspective so your your body your your brain reacts based on the encoding it had at the time because that's what was a safe that's what Mm. helped you to survive but it's no longer necessarily applicable and it's helping people unpack that um it is you know really really important and I think it's some of the biggest and best work that you can do in your life 
am I am a real advocate for people having therapy and getting the support that they need kind of psychologically and physiologically. Um, and, and I also think, because one of my favourite books is The Body Knows the Score by Bessel <laughs> van der Kolk. And, and I just think there's something about the gift that you're giving to future generations if you just pause and do some of this work now because you're undoing stuff that just hasn't been dealt with in the past. Absolutely. And, you know, that's all a whole new field of epigenetics where if we if we don't um, unpack it, um, then we are going to carry that on <clears throat> to the next generation and they then have to unpack it or they don't. And it keeps carrying on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so no one is healing from the from the experience because because we're not taking the time to reflect and understand. Um, and it's you know our our genes load the gun our environment pulls the trigger so it's really important that we understand where we're you know coming back to Emily understanding the landscape excuse me in our mind but also the environment that we're in as well is really important Mm. and and like I mean I, I read somewhere that there was some research done that that shows that um the trauma from the slave trade is to date it's in 27 generations and i think you know some of the conversations that we're now having regarding um uh the challenges and the the kind of you know what's coming up about colonialism and race and black lives matters and things like that hopefully some of that is just starting to to unpack some of this because wouldn't it be horrendous if it continues for another 27 generations Mm, but for me really interesting piece about that was that there is now documentation that says trauma can last generation after generation after generation 100 percent. they've done studies on this with we've done um studies on mice where they've they've traumatized the mice and you know the the parents of the mice uh, the children of the mice and the the children's children carried the trauma over but where they deliberately induced a trauma in the in the in the mouse and they know this from holocaust survivors as well it gets carried over mm-hmm. um, and they also um you know there's emerging um science around the link between trauma and chronic illnesses uh, asthma um alzheimer's uh, cancer uh, can also can can uh, in some cases can be linked back to unresolved trauma uh, that's happened to that person in that time, and your body leaks it out uh, later on because it's not dealt with the stress response that's locked down in your mind or or indeed in your body. So it's really uh, incumbent on us all to find the natural ways where possible to uh, release. Uh, the trauma and not use medication to hide it (laughs) but to deal with the root cause of it um, so that people can let go and uh, uh, and live you know a much more happy uh, much more fulfilled life going forward without without the hang-ups and like you say uh, to break the chain for the generations uh, that follow Mm. and that's and that's for me why I really liked um EMDR and and the work that you described with Havening I think these things are really really important because some people don't want to talk about this stuff but they still need the help absolutely it just I mean you know I couldn't speak about some of the things that I'm sharing with you even just a few years ago but now Mm. because I've, I've done some processing 
I'm in the place where I can share. And hopefully as people are listening to this, it enables them to kind of feel inspired to just, you know, do a Google search or find some information or make a call and book an appointment so that Mm. they can um, do the work that's necessary for them. Because I think it doesn't matter what your life experience is. We all have had something that is traumatic that has happened to us. We see through the lens of trauma. And for me, I, I was really reminded of that once when I attended an event in London and a couple of the attendees were speaking about how privileged their life had been. And actually the trauma that had been caused to them was because the privilege of their life. And I just, yeah. I never occurred to me that, that that can also happen. And it really shifted the way that I look. And so I, I'm a firm believer that everyone has something. Yeah, I do. I agree with you too. And I think, um, what we have, uh, people compare themselves to other people and so they don't deal with their trauma because they think oh well so and so um you know I had a miscarriage at seven weeks which is not long into it so I would be comparing myself to well so and so had a miscarriage uh just before the baby was born so my trauma is much less than their trauma but the reality is it's still (laughs) it's still trauma I'm still traumatized. It doesn't matter. You know, they they may be much less traumatized. It doesn't matter uh, what their perception of their experience is. What matters is your perception of your own experience, um, and and to get that and to get that dealt with. I mean, for me, my, you know, I was introduced to Havening. Um, I was recommended to, uh, to tool up with it as a, a brain health professional. Um, and I'd parked it, didn't know anything about it. I'd had um, positive psychology as part of my, um, the support the firm gave me for, for the work experience, but it didn't do anything for me uh, per se, it wasn't the right therapy for me. Um, and so I was kind of a bit reluctant to, to learn about havening. But then my dad died um, it, in September 2019, and I witnessed his death. I was there when they turned his life support machine off. Uh, and my mum was there too. And that was really, really difficult um, for me and obviously for my mum. And I put all of my energy into helping my mum, who was, she, she was there at the time it first happened. It died of a heart, massive heart attack. Mm-hmm. And um, none of the energy into helping myself. So I was crying every day, pretty much. It was difficult to get up in the morning, just a, a bit of emotional wreck. Um, and so I reached out to Havening just I thought well I'll try it and see how it is um and I went back to the experience um that I I witnessed and I I went from a distress rating of seven out of ten to two out of ten in just one session Mm -hmm. and within a week I could talk about it with without having a you know going into an emotional meltdown um and and since then I just thought wow I need to I need to help people uh, let unchain their pain is the focus is let people let go of their pain um, and so I was able to help people through the pandemic who were being triggered by the pandemic um, help my mum with her grief with the trauma of the day help people with car crashes mm-hmm. domestic abuse childhood abuse you you name it I've pretty phobias pretty much have anything you can think of of uh, help people uh, with with a, a trauma or unhelpful experiences depending on how they choose to label it themselves um, and it's and it's transformational more more recently um helping people with natural disasters a lot of that na- you know we're having this increase 
natural disasters that take place and that takes people by surprise and it's really traumatic and so I can help people around the globe every week now um, to let go of their trauma and anybody can show up to the uh, training and um, we we have on average people with a trauma rating of seven out of ten uh, to one out of 10 in less than an hour, all, all content free. So it's uh, incredibly powerful. We do more than just havening. They, we, I tool them up with uh, brain health techniques as well in that one hour session. So they've got something that they can take away in and use for life. And it's just so important, especially like hey, my daughter, Lily, she learned havening as a child. I actually havened her. She, she was traumatised in birth, her birthing experience. She was born by C-section. She was in, in, a, in transition to the, to the world for seven, about 72 hours with all the drugs going into my body to, to try and get me into labour. And um, it wasn't until I havened her when she was asleep that I was uh, and having the nightmares that she, she stopped having them. And she's, she now does havening and she's done her first conference on havening to demonstrate to kids. So we, <laughs> so we have havening videos to help train children as well because children can learn it. She can learn it at 18 months uh, old um, and she does it to nursery rhymes or whenever she needs it, she asks for it. Um, uh, anybody can do it. It's, it's incredibly powerful. I love that. And and. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the way that you are involving Lily in the work that you're doing and in your life, um, because that's the biggest gift that you can give to her, you know. Oh, really yeah. Is. Thank you. I mean, I just want the world to be a better place for her, you mm. know, I want to help make sure that she's got all the tools she needs for life that I didn't have, that I wish I had when I was a child. Mm. Um and that she's equipped in the best way possible um, to, to, to be the best she can be with the healthiest brain she can have. And I've made huge mistakes <laughs> throughout my childhood. You know, I, I was diagnosed with traumatic brain injury through multiple nine and ox, which includes football, falling off bikes, horses, uh, skiing, you know, you name it. I've pretty much fallen over um, uh, many, many, many times and that stacks cumulatively. So, um, you know, for me, it's really important that she learns how to look after herself uh, and why um, it's important to look after yourself uh, from a brain health perspective. And I didn't know until I did the work that your brain doesn't finish maturing until you're 25 yep. as a female and 28 as a male. So it's really important as parents that we we provide that cognitive uh executive function to our kids because that's the last thing that comes online the logical part of our brain which is why kids do stupid things because they they haven't got that uh cop um Mm. at the front of their brain to to tell them is this a good ask them is this a good idea or not um and that's why as parents we need to be there to to support them 100% 100% agree with you. Really <laughs> and, and you know, we've had such a wonderful um, conversation. I haven't asked you any of the questions that are on my list. <laughs> so I'm, I, I hope that you will come back. Oh, I'd love to. We'll do sure. a, another one of these because it's just, you know, the, the, the information that you've shared with us has just been so rich and deep. Um, and 
of service as well. And I, and that's what I really like about how you have come today in that you've come to share your knowledge. And for me, I've received it is that it's a gift that everybody who has listened in has received. Um, there's a couple of questions that I would like to ask you as we, as we wrap up. And, and the first one is if your 16 year old self was in front of you now, what advice would they give to you? If they were in front of me, what would they tell me? Yeah. Uh, what advice would my 16 year old self? Cause I'd, I, I was thinking what advice would I give my 16 year old self, but you wanted the other way around. That's right. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I would say, um pay attention to uh the signals that lily may be giving off that are not necessarily verbal cues as she's maturing through her teenage years that she needs help and it's time to have a chat and and support her and i i say that in in the fact that um i was i had a, tr- a troubled childhood that everybody thought, thought it was perfect and one of the images I did as a 15-year-old, as well, 16-year-old, it probably was at the time, um, for my GCSE art final was me, a picture of me trapped in my mind. Mm. Um, and that was my way of kind of communicating. I couldn't communicate it out. Um, so I, I, for me, I would say as a 16-year-old, just be there for me when yeah. I need you. Yeah, it's brilliant advice for all of us to hear as well I think in in terms of how we look at um young people to be Mm. there for them Mm. Um, and then lastly what advice do you have for me oh so I think um this is a really tough question but I think for anybody but uh is to live life on your own terms Mm. is is do what you know is right for you and to your core values and to your beliefs uh, and show up as your authentic self and be okay with the fact that not everyone, you know, is, is going to warm to us because it's a huge planet. Um, but just be you. Live life on your own terms uh, and, and, and enjoy it. Thank you. I absolutely love that. And that's that's what I'm aspiring to do. So I, I love the reminder that you gave. Ruth, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Oh, so they can go to ruthmaryallen.com. So that's R-U-T-H-M-A-R-Y-A-L-L-A-N.com or wellbeingwarrioracademy.com if they want to find out about the brain health programs for kids. Um, or visit find me on social media Ruth Mary Allen on all of the social media channels fantastic and I encourage everyone to go and get all of the awesomeness that Ruth <laughs> has shared and if you want to dig deep in anything then you know I, I know that uh, Ruth is very committed and authentic and also incredibly skilled up in the things that she shares so please do take full advantage and again it's just been such a gift having you here and uh, I hope we will have another conversation where we can just dig a little bit deeper into some of these things so thank you Ruth oh no thank you for having me it's been a real pleasure 
If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.